The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Philippians this morning. And uh, maybe somebody read ahead and saw our topic. And uh, maybe we're going for holidays. I'm not sure. We're a little bit down this morning. The church council uh, met to the discussed the pastor's compensation for the coming year, and uh, after the meeting, the chair of the council told the pastor that, uh, we're very sorry, pastor, we've decided we can't give you a raise next year, and uh, the pastor said, well, you've got to give me a raise, I'm, I'm just a poor preacher, and uh, they said, we know, we hear you every Sunday, so <laughs> maybe that's the case. Uh, somebody said uh, at the church, there will be a meeting of the church board immediately following the service and after the close of the service the church board gathered in the back of the sanctuary for the announced meeting of the stranger there in their midst and uh the uh pastor said well my friend did you understand this is a meeting of the board and he said yes sir i, I was as bored as anybody today and um so maybe i'm trying to get you ready for a topic in philippians chapter four and we're going to be down in a verse uh 14 is kind of where we're going to start. I heard about a farmer who called the office of the minister of the church and said, uh, I want to talk to the head hog at the trough. And the receptionist says, Sir, if you're talking about our beloved minister, you can call him reverend or you can call him pastor, but I don't think it's proper that you would refer to him as the head hog at the trough. Well, all right, the farmer said, I'm a hog farmer and I sold some sows and I was about to donate $10,000 to the building fund, to the building fund, so I was hoping I could catch him and she said, oh, just a second, I hear the little porker coming right now. So uh, this time today, what we're going to talk about is we've been talking about joy and uh, today, Paul closes his letters, and this is our last uh, message, you may be glad or you may be sad, uh, about the, the topic of joy, and we may preach on that again, but we're going to finish up the book of Philippians today. Uh, we've been talking about restoring our joy, and the study's taken us through the book of Philippians, and I hope that it's helped you, it's helped me to better understand how to live a real life of joy, I mean real joy, and what it's really about, and we're... Uh, as we finish this up, uh, I know some people wish that uh, folks in the church would never talk about money. I know that's the case. And uh, if you say today when you leave, every time I go to that church, they talk about money. You haven't been here in about 15 years because I haven't preached on this subject in at least that long. And I would say that's a conservative number. So you would have to say, well, I never go. But the one Sunday I did go, uh, he, talked about, uh, he talked about giving. And, and somebody said there's a fine line between a long, drawn-out sermon on tithing and a hostage situation. So that may be true. Uh, if y'all know what 10-cent toilets are, who actually remembers or knows they used to charge you a dime to go to the bathroom? Who remembers that? Target had a 10-cent uh, toilet. Denise and I got married. She was sick on our... I had nothing to do with it. She was sick on our uh, wedding day, and we flew to uh, Colorado to go skiing on our honeymoon, and she was about to throw up our lunch that we ate in uh, New Mexico. We stopped, had about an hour layover. We ate Mexican food. 
She flew in the bathroom to find a bunch of pay toilets, <laughs> and she didn't have a dime. It was just a dime, you know. So uh, I heard that the, uh, the limbo was invented by a Baptist deacon trying to get in a pay toilet without touching anything, you know, without paying his dime. So I understand how we feel when we start talking about money, and we especially when we talk about money in the church and uh, giving in the church and most of us think about, when we, when we think about money and the joy of money, we think about the joy of getting it, don't we? That's where our, our thoughts go. Uh, but the greatest joy of money is when we give it away for a greater purpose, and that's what Paul talks about. And uh, although I may not like to talk about money in the church, and you may not like to hear about money in the church... If we examine the New Testament, it shows us in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one out of every six verses in those three Gospels deals with the subject of money. Twenty-nine parables told, 16 of them deal with a person and his money. And someone counted over 2,300 different references to money and possessions in the Word of God. So God's Word has a lot to say about that. And uh, what I want to share with you this morning is not rocket science. Anybody can understand these truths, and you may not like them, but you can understand them. The truth is buildings can't be built unless they're paid for. Facilities can't be maintained without money. Uh, utilities can't be paid without money. There's uh, Staff can't be hired and supported without money, and it it takes a, a, a money to sustain a ministry. And I told you all that story about the, the pastor that got up and, and uh, he said, if this church is going to move, it's going to take money. And, and the old man deacon in the back said, let it move. And uh, he said, if this church is going to run, uh, it's going to take... Uh, it's going to take money, and he said, let it run, and, and uh, they said, if this church is going to fly, it's going to take a lot of money, and the deacon said, well, let's just let it walk in, you know, so uh, don't get too far yourself, but uh, to sustain ministry in a church, it, it takes people who are faithful, who are obedient, who are, who are givers to the church, and that's God's plan. The thing we don't, we don't understand, or sometimes I think we lose focus of, are maybe folks that really are aggravated when we talk about any kind of giving to churches to understand it's God's plan. It's, it's not the church's plan. And, and if every member of the church gave according to God's plan, there'd be nothing the church couldn't accomplish. And I'm not talking about East Delta. I'm talking about God's church, the church, because that's God's plan. And the interesting things, George Barna, this is some old research, about 16 years old. He, he found some interesting things that may surprise you. It may not. In his research, he, he says he found that more people claim to tithe than actually do. He said, out of all the people who claim to be born-again Christians, one-fourth of them give no money at all to the church. That was in the year 2002. Uh, of all the people who give donations, only 3 to 5% actually give a tithe. And an average donation by adults in a local church is $12.50 a week, which is $248 a year. That's, that's the, the information he gathered. That's just about giving in the church. And I don't know in this church, I don't know who gives. I don't know who don't give. I don't want to know. And to be honest, I don't care. And I don't mean that ugly. I, I mean, that's between you and God. I'm, I'm just going to... Pass on what God's Word has to say, and I have enough trouble, folks, dealing with myself without worrying about what you're doing, and I, that's the truth when it comes to our giving, but God has a perfect plan 
for fundraising in the church, and it's called the tithe. And we're called upon to demonstrate our trust in God by giving a tithe. And if you go to Malachi, and that's where we're going to be, Malachi 3.10, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read one verse. We see God's plan for, that, for, the, for the, the church. And the tenth is, a, is what a tithe is, and that's where we find in Malachi. But I want you to know there's one place in all the Bible that God says we can test him. And y'all know what testing is. If you, if you say, God, if I do this, I expect you to do this. That's testing God. And nowhere in Scripture does the Bible say we can test God except in Malachi 3.10. And this is what he says, Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there will be food in my house, and try me, test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. And see if I'll not open forth in you a window from heaven and pour out a blessing so much that there's not room enough to receive it. Now, that's a promise of God. In that verse, he says, with your giving, you can test me. You can test God in that, in that verse and in, and in our giving. John Hagee, he wrote his book, Winning Over Worry, and he says there are those who would try to brainwash people into believing that it's the responsibility of the tithe was only during the Old Testament law. And I bet you some of you have heard that before, and I've heard it before. Oh, that's an Old Testament thing. Tithing is from the Old Testament. And uh, I would say there's some truth in that because the New Testament church, it says they sold everything they have, brought it all to the church so it'd benefit everyone. So you say, well, okay, let's get back to 10%. That sounds a little better than everything. So... But, but there are people that will say that, and they'll tell you this, and this is according to the book, Winning Over Worry, that Malachi 3.10 has no reverence for today because it's in the Old Testament. But those same people that say those things about tithing are under the law. They'll look towards to- Psalms 23rd, the Lord is my shepherd, for guidance and for comfort. They'll look to Job for wisdom and comfort during trials and temptations. They'll go to Elijah for a pattern of prayer or other Old Testament passages that they might understand leadership. But to be consistent, these people who would throw out Malachi 3.10 ought to also throw out John 3.16 because it was too spoken prior to the time of redemption and was completed by our Lord and Savior on the cross of Calvary. Tithing predated the law. Abraham tithed. The law of the tithe is not an Israelite Israelite law. It's the fundamental and unalterable law of God, and it's still in force. That's why tithing is committed, is commanded by Jesus in Matthew 23, 23, and God never repealed the fundamental law of tithing, and grace has not annulled it, and time has not altered it. Now, that is, quote, from this book, and I think it's a good quote. So as we move on to the meat of the message, I want you to look in Philippians chapter 4. We're actually, let's back up to to verse 10, and then we'll drop down to 14. And I'll remind you of this passage we read last week. Paul says, But I greatly rejoice in the Lord that now you have renewed, or your care for me has flourished again, Though you surely did care, but you lacked the opportunity. We talked about that a little bit last week. Verse 14, Nevertheless, you have done well that you have shared in my distress. Now you, Philippians, also know that at the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. 
For even in Thessalonica you sent me aid once again for my necessities, in verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Now we'll talk more about what that means in just a minute, in just a moment. In verse 18, indeed, I have all and abound. I, uh, indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Ephroditus the things that you sent, and a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, verse 19. And my God shall supply all your needs according to the riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And we talked about the Philippians' gift that reached Paul. It cheered up his heart, and he said, I rejoice greatly in that, that your care for me has flourished. And that word actually means that it has bloomed or that it has blossomed once again. That the, the church there at, at, at Philippi, they, they enthusiastically gave a financial gift to Paul. And he, he says, I'm rejoicing though, but he, he thinks them without... without you know, hunting or, or pecking around or looking for uh, the idea that I need you to send more. He simply wrote this letter, and we know from Philippians 2, 25, that the church at Philippi sent one of their members there, and we talked about this uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Ephorotus, and, and uh, he brought a gift there to Paul. He had mentioned that back in Philippians 2, 25, and, and then Paul speaks here in verse 14 about their sharing and their giving of financial support, and, and Paul wanted to thank the people for this generous gift. He wanted to thank them for what they had given, but, but he, he mentions that they had a problem in the beginning. We talked about that just a little bit like last week. The, the problem was a lack of opportunity. We don't know what that was. Maybe they didn't know where Paul was. Maybe they didn't know how to get him the gift. Maybe they weren't financially able to give him the gift. But he says there in verse 13, I understand that you lacked opportunity. But this morning here, you know, we really don't lack opportunity. We, we, don't, we can't say, well, I lack the, the, the opportunity like this church here. I think we probably have no idea and I have no idea the, the struggles that the church faced during this time. The church was a poor church. The church struggled just to get by. And, and I think that's why Paul made such a big deal about their gift. He understood that the church was in poverty. And in poverty, they were still able to give, and they still brought their gifts, and they, they shared with others. So when we think about this lack of opportunity, I think we need to understand that, that the churches in this time, not this, this church, but the church in this time was, was, was greatly impoverished, and they, they just lacked the funds to do things, but yet they still reached out. Chuck, Chuck, Charles Swindoll says, The whole subject of finances and fundraising and remaining pure, humble, and grateful, and the handling of money is a heavy weight hanging on thin wires of integrity and accountability. And some people are, are restrained about their giving. Some people, because of some ministry, have failed them, and, and because they're not understanding that, that ministries have, have been accountable, that they, they're restrained in their giving. But I want you to understand this. The books of East Delta Baptist Church, they're always opened. For anyone to examine, there's, there's financial statements right out in the foyer, and, and we have a monthly business meeting. You ever have a question about anything you've given to this church, it's all on the open. 
We don't try to hide anything. We want you to see it. We want you to know where your gifts are going and what they're being used for. So with that, I just want you to understand that. And if you ever have a question, you can see me. You can see Debbie. She's our church secretary. And we can get that into your hands so you'll know and understand. So those that would say, you know, I've been burning the ministry or we see things on television and we hear things in the news about uh, different ministries and failed ministries, I want you to understand where your gifts are going. But let's go into our message this morning, and I have a a short time, and we won't take a long time, but I want us to understand about the joy of giving. This morning, you'd say, well, we've been talking about joy, and I'll just invite you to look in Philippians chapter 4 that Paul talks about giving, and that's why we're on this subject this morning. And, And he's talking about joy. That's the book of Philippians is joy. So... Where do we find joy in giving? <coughs> and this morning, I want to, the first thing I want to see about our joy in giving is our giving bears interest. In verse 17, I thought this was pretty interesting when I started studying this. Paul lays out what the spirit of every Christian fundraiser should be. He says this, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Now, I don't know what your translation says. That's the New King James. Let me read what the NIV says, and I'm reading in verse 17. Verse 17 in the NIV says this, Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what might be credited to your account. You may have different translations, but that word fruit that Paul mentions here is really a word that means interest. So what he's saying here is I'm seeking the interest that you will accrue to you, that will be accrued to you, this interest that you're going to see. They're they're investing in the Word of God through the Apostle Paul, and they're going to receive a return on their investment. And now think about joy. Think about the, the, the church that's in poverty, the church that's barely making it, the church that Paul is trying to encourage to be joyful. And he talks about their giving, and he says, you're giving is going to have a return investment. In other words, Paul, Paul's real heart and interest was not in receiving a gift from them. Paul says, I'm not so interested in the gift that you've given me. I'm interested in more of you understanding that your gift is going to pay dividends to you. And folks, we need to understand that when we give and we're, we're giving to God... And we're not giving to the church, we're not giving to the pastor, we're giving to God that that there's interest put back in our accounts. There's fruit that Paul says that we're going to accrue in our account. And and in that we can find joy. I'm sure y'all have all heard of Kraft Cheese and and J.L. Kraft. He's the founder of Kraft Cheese Corporation and he gave approximately 25% of his enormous income, which I don't even know what that may be, uh, to, to Christian causes for many, many years. And this is what he said, the only investment that has ever paid consistently, increasingly dividends to me is the money that I've given to the Lord. See, he understood the joy in giving. He didn't, he didn't say, oh, I hate when they talk about giving the church. He said, you know what? I'm investing. I'm, I'm, I'm putting some, some investments into what God has to do, and I'm, it's paying a dividend back to me. Corey Ten Boom, I, I was reading about her, and I, I thought, how many people have, 
don't know who she is, you know. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that probably don't know who Corrie Ten Boom is. And, and in World War II, her family, a big family, they, they hid the Jews to protect them from, from concentration camps. And, and later, the, somebody turned them in, and she was arrested. And she wrote a book called The Hiding Place. And, but she, she has lots of great statements. She was a godly woman. And, and she says this, I've held many things in my hands. And I've lost them all. But whatever I've placed in God's hands, those things I still possess. I think she understood that that giving bears interest. Here's the second thing Paul wanted us to understand when it comes to, to having joy in giving. He says not only our giving it bears interest, he says our giving is truly worship. In verse 18, it, he interprets that, that ultimate sacrifice of Philippians and as a financial gift. Listen, listen to what he says. It's a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. What Paul does, he goes back to that, that ideal of that sacrifice in the Old Testament as, as there was an animal sacrificed upon the altar and as he was sacrificed upon the altar in Leviticus, it says that sweet aroma from the sacrifice raises up to the throne of God and he finds that, that sweet smell of a sacrifice. And, and Paul says to the, the church there that, that you're giving this. Why do you find joy? Not only in the dividends that it pays back, but we find joy because it's ultimately a, an act of worship. And as we worship God through our giving, he finds that sweet aroma of a, of a sacrifice, that sweet aroma that's well-pleasing to God. Why do we find joy in giving? We find that joy because we understand that it's pleasing to God. It's a sweet aroma. It's a, it's a praise. It's a worship that we lift up to God during our time of giving. Here's the third thing that, that Paul says. As we give, we can trust God to supply our needs. I would guess that probably most people here understand verse 19 in a sense that you've heard it. Maybe you've even quoted it. Verse, verse 19 says, And God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That verse is often quoted, but how many times have you heard it taught in, in the promise, in, in the giving of our context to our God? That's, that's where this verse comes from. It's, it's in the context of giving, isn't it? I mean, Paul says when we give, when we, when we bring our gifts before God, there's, there's, a, there's a promise we have there that, that God is going to richly bless us through, through his blessings. Paul gives us that strong assurance that God has a matching gift plan. In, in other words, I, I can't pay you back, but God will. Now, what's he doing? He's writing to the church. He says to the church, thank you for your gift. <coughs> I can't pay you back. I, all I can do is give you thanks, but you need to understand that, that God will. You're invested. He's going to pay dividends, and he's going to richly bless you in Christ Jesus. So we have a, we have a glorious promise there that God is going to richly bless us. But listen, it can be misunderstood. <coughs> Here's two things I want to close with. And these are things that can be misunderstood. Here, first, Paul's not saying that a generous Christian will never suffer need. He's not saying that. And, and let me explain it to you. He just told them in verse 12, he knows what it's like to be in need, doesn't he? He says, I, I know what it's like not to have anything. I, I know what it's like to be hungry. I, I know what it's like to, to go without. 
And, and I would say if we want to find a great Christian to model our lives after, it would be Paul. But Paul wanted us to understand that, that God is going to pay dividends and God is going to richly bless us. But we don't need to simply think, well, if I give God $100 today in the offering, tomorrow morning I'm going to receive a $1,000 check. And, and because that's what Jake said... And he read that out of Scripture. We, we need to change our thinking from this. This dollar that I'm going to spend on, on some earthly thing, uh, we think, well, I've got something back to show for it. I'll go hand you a dollar and you hand me a piece of bubble gum. And, and uh, so, so I got something back for it. But, but when I hand that dollar to church, I'm never going to see it again. Well, that's what Paul wants to understand, that, that wait a minute, God is going to bless us richly. He's going to bless us with His blessings. Now, you may put $100 in the offering plate today. You may have a $1,000 check show up tomorrow. But you may not, so I don't want you to leave here saying, you know what, uh, I'm, a, I'm trying to be a great Christian, and I'm still suffering these needs, so I don't believe any of that stuff that, that we were reading. We need to understand that Paul says God is going to bless us with joy what did Paul talk about contentment? And we talked about last week, finding joy and contentment. And, and Paul needs under, wants us to understand that God's blessing comes with joy, contentment. And he wants to under, us to understand that he'll supply all of our what? Needs. That's where God's blessing comes from. So the second thing I think that's misunderstood, Paul's not saying that, that just any God's going to supply our needs. He's not saying that, that uh, a God is going to supply your needs, a, a God whom we're happy to believe in. He's not referring to Allah or he's not referring to some God of the New Age movement. Paul's referring to the one true God, the, the Old Testament God that revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And when Paul reveals that, he says, the God... God himself, he is going to supply our needs. All other gods are imaginary, but Paul says this God, our God, the God, is going to supply our needs. When we give to God and when we give out of a loving heart, Paul says this, God is going to supply our needs through the riches of Christ Jesus, our one true God. Alan Gardner, he, he was a missionary to Tia del Fuego, and, and he says this, in, this was written in his book, he's sailing to his work, he's sailing on a ship. When the ship had to anchor for the whole winter in a cold, bitter bay, it says the supply vessel never arrived, and everyone on board the ship, Gardner included, perished in this desolate place, the the ship. The ship never made, the supply ship never made. They're dying, they're starving, they're out of supplies. Here's the very last entry written in his journal. Written only hours before he died, it says, This ship is very Bethel to my soul, and I am beyond all power of the description of happiness. See, so he understood that that only hours before he died, he, he says, you know what? God has supplied all of my needs. So I want to ask you, what if your ship never comes in? What if, what if the uh, publisher's clearing half never knocks on your door? You know, what if, uh, what if your circumstances continue just as they are for the rest of your days on earth? What if that check never comes in the mail? 
You know, what if, what if that apology, you never receive it, that, that relief from your physical affliction. You know, Paul had that. He had that affliction that, that he said, you know, this is a thorn in my side. I'm afflicted, but you know what? He said with that, he said, but God, your grace is sufficient. It's, it's enough for me. What if that better life never comes? Could you say there that, that you know what, I'm beyond all power of happiness. That's the joy that Paul's talking about. That's that abiding joy within that Paul says, you know what, through the book of Philippians, with everything you're facing, God has a great joy for us in the end. We find that joy also in our giving. In closing, let me just ask, how well is your giving bearing interest today? Those investments that you're making, how, how well does your giving reflect your worship? as we come and worship. And based on your giving, do you have the right to claim that God's going to supply all your needs in Christ Jesus? Father, I pray today, as we just think about what Paul has to say to us through that gift of giving, and Father, for so many of us today, we would think of, of our giving as something separate of our worship. But Lord, I pray today that we would understand there truly is joy in giving. Father, I pray we'd understand that you bless us today, that we might be a blessing to others. You've given us things that we might share with others. And, Lord, you do promise that you'll supply our needs. You, you promise, Father, that uh, we can test you and you'll pour out a blessing that's not measurable by us. But, Father, I pray today that as we are led by the Spirit, not through impulsiveness, not through guilt, not through feeling squeezed, but Father, we would come to worship you, that we'd worship you through prayer, that we would worship you through song, that we would worship you through our time of teaching in Sunday school, that we'd worship you through the time of message that you have given us and that you place on our heart, that we'd worship you through our time of invitation, and Father, we would too worship you during a time of giving. Lord, I pray that we'd know that we're not giving to the church, we're not giving to the pastor, but we're giving you a gift as a steward of what you've blessed us with, Lord. Father, I pray your spirit today would teach us in the foolishness of words that I've said today. Father, those things which would be false, anything that would not be of your will or your word, they would be taken out of our minds and we'd remember no more. But Father, those things which are true, those things which are right, those things which are just. I pray, Father, that we wouldn't merely be hearers of the word and so deceive ourselves, but, Father, we would be doers of your word that we might experience the ultimate joy that you desire for your children in this place. Father, I thank you for each one that's here. I pray, Father, today that you'd bless this time of invitation. Pray that we'd open our hearts, we'd open our minds, and, Father that we would allow you to have your own way with us in this place today. In Jesus' name.